Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and founding editor of the podcast. Today on the podcast, we are discussing meniscal repairs and specifically the outcomes of repairing horizontal cleavage tears. I'm excited to be joined in this discussion by Dr. Peter Kurzweil from Memorial Orthopedic Surgical Group in Long Beach, California. Dr. Kurzweil was the lead author on the article titled, Favorable Reoperation Rate at Two Years Following Repair of Horizontal Cleavage Tears Using an All-Suture-Based Technique, a Prospective Multicenter Trial, which was published online in March 2021 and in press with the Arthroscopy, Sports Medicine, and Rehabilitation Journal. His co-authors include Aaron Critch, Adam Ons, Winston Guathme, Gregory Loren, Matthew Lavery, and David Flanagan. Peter, congratulations on your work and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and thank you for acknowledging the co-authors on the study. Can you start by giving our listeners some background on your interest in this topic and how you developed the idea for this particular study? Yes, it actually all originated from a systematic review I did in 2014, looking at uh, the possibility of repairing horizontal cleavage tears. Um, As we've been taught, um, or at least how I was taught, traditionally horizontal cleavage tears were either treated by benign neglect or resection. And looking back, uh, there's probably been no way to repair horizontal cleavage tears. Uh, because most of the instruments we use are introduced horizontal to the plane of the tibia. And if you try to fix something that's horizontal to the plane of the tibia, it becomes difficult. Um, Prior to that, let me add one more thing. I think it's important to, to define horizontal cleavage tears and what we mean by that. So a vertical tear would be something that's within 60 to 90 degrees of the vertical plane. A horizontal tear would be within 30 degrees of the horizontal plane. And oblique tears are between 30 and 60 degrees. Uh, For the purpose of this study, we went as high as about 40, 45 degrees. So we we included some horizontal and semi-oblique tears for the study. Interesting. So before we get into your results, I was hoping you could briefly just describe for us your typical workup and evaluation of patients with meniscus tears and what goes into your decision-making when you're formulating your treatment plan for them. Well, as you know, meniscus tears are either traumatic or atraumatic, and horizontal cleavage tears tend to be more uh, atraumatic. They're often in older patients, uh, and they're often somewhat degenerative and often in the uh, a, what was considered the avascular zone. So the thought of repairing such a meniscus uh, in the past hasn't really been something in our teaching. However, when patients are, are coming in and they have uh, pain at the joint line with medial joint line tenderness, and they're older and have had no trauma, the first line of thinking isn't that they're going to have a horizontal cleavage tear that I want to repair. Usually what I'll do is I'll do activity modification, ask them not to squat and twist, and go on a brief course of anti-inflammatory pills, 
typically they're not going to have mechanical symptoms with these tears. And when they come back, and if they're still having pain at that point, I get an MRI scan, uh, and the MRI scan is what will show the horizontal cleavage tear to correlate with their symptoms and exam. Can you summarize your surgical technique for us? In the article, you described an all-inside, all-suture circumferential technique, and you mentioned the inclusion of some hybrid inside-out or outside-in repairs. I'm just curious to understand the intraoperative decision-making process and who got what in your study. Right. Very good. What led me to want to do this study is that we now have the ability to place all inside an intraarticular vertical suture that allows you to compress a horizontal tear. Uh, there are a couple companies that make that instrument. This study was sponsored by Smith and Nephew, and we did the Soterix Novo Stitch, uh, which is a self-capturing device. So knowing that device was available has opened up tears that we thought were previously irreparable or certainly not re- repairable by arthroscopic means. Uh, period. So that being said, uh, what we would do is uh, see the horizontal cleavage tear and discuss the possibility of repair with the patients. Uh, and in surgery, we would typically trim the apex of the meniscus, that very thin apical area, uh, so that it would expose the superior and inferior leaflets gently debride any tissue, degenerative tissue that was in there. And then we would place a so-called hay bale suture that uh, we could tie and compress. And typically we would space these sutures about five millimeters apart um, and, and try to close the the leaflets and compress them together. Um, as you can imagine, as as with fixators, uh, one can get to the posterior two-thirds of the meniscus with anterior devices such as the Novo stitch. Sometimes it would take an accessory portal to try to get a little bit more anterior, but if you're talking about strictly anterior third tears, we would want to do an outside-in suture. Now, that would place a suture that's not quite perpendicular, but a bit more oblique, but we wanted to study to be somewhat pure and do only suture repairs without fixators. So that was one of the criteria for including patients in our study. Okay. So with that background discussion behind us, can you summarize your key findings? Yes. Um, What we were trying to do is to take tears that are traditionally irreparable, degenerative, horizontal, older patients, our inclusion criteria included patients up to 60 years of age, um, and try to repair them and see how we did. And our outcome was essentially freedom from operation. And in this multi-center study, we had enrolled 30 patients, 
And after two years, to this point, we have two-year data on 19 patients. And we had a, a freedom from reoperation of nearly 83%, which is quite comparable to the best-case scenario of, of vertical traumatic uh, meniscus tears that are repaired. I think most of us who do knee surgery are familiar with the prognostic factors that are known to affect outcomes of meniscus repairs as far as vertical tear patterns, namely things like age of the patient, time between injury and surgery, presence or absence of malalignment or instability and other such factors. Although this wasn't one of your primary reported outcomes, I'm curious to know if you can share with us if you learned anything about similar such prognostic factors with respect to horizontal cleavage tears that can maybe help guide our management and counseling of these patients? Uh, that's a good question. And since many of these tears were degenerative and atraumatic, we don't have time from injury to surgery. Uh, patients had come in with various lengths of being symptomatic, various locations. We included medial and lateral and various sizes. And uh, I would tell you that uh, age did not seem to be uh, one factor. Um, time of symptoms weren't a factor. Uh, we did the usual contraindications to meniscus repair, like you mentioned, such as smoking and obesity and malalignment and ligament instability, and those were excluded from the study. So if you just take all comers, that was our success rate. Did any of the patients in your study or do any in your current practice outside of the study receive any biological augmentation of the repairs? And what's your current thoughts on that topic? That's a good question. Uh, as in this study, we stayed away from introducing PRP or fibrin clot into the repair site. And part of that is we wanted to make sure we got very good compression between the leaflets. And our hesitancy was if we stick a material in the leaflet and then compress it, might we not be compressing the leaflets as well as we would like to? So that's something I don't do for the horizontal cleavage repairs. But in practice now, I, I do like intercondylar notch marrow venting. Uh, I might gently uh, trephinate the capsule, but I don't want to do it too vigorously as I don't want to weaken uh, the, the capsule uh, with too many passes with a needle. Um, so, and of course, if they're done with an ACL reconstruction, then I won't go ahead and, and do any biologic augmentation. So just to clarify, you didn't have any biological augmentation for the patients in this study, but you still had fairly favorable outcomes in repairing these tears that were previously thought to be irreparable. Am I reading that correctly? You are. So we're essentially looking purely at suture only. And in addition, recall that these are isolated meniscus tears not done with concomitant ligament reconstruction. So we're essentially taking the worst case scenario in your worst patients that are atraumatic and often older, and we're still getting a fairly good success rate. Sure. One of the things I noted that you you didn't mention, but I think it is 
worth calling attention to is that you you collected patient report on these measures for these patients and had significant improvements at six months initially, but those were also maintained out to two years, meeting the minimum clinically important difference for both the IKDC and the Lysium scores um, in two-thirds of your patients. How satisfying is that in your practice to follow these patients and see that sort of response? It was very satisfying. And, and as you're pointing out in our study, we looked at specific KU scores such as the activity score, quality of life, sports, and overall symptoms. And we actually found improvement from six months to two years uh, in the patients that uh, we were able to follow. So the results uh, are maintained uh, and uh, patients were generally very happy with the results, with their return to activity, with freedom from pain. Now, as we know, there's no perfect surgery. I did note you had a 13% complication rate. Do you want to just speak to that briefly about what kinds of things you were observing in the patients who did have some, some complications? Right. And 13% sounds somewhat high, but it's actually only four patients. So obviously, we would like higher numbers for our denominator, having four patients in the numerator. With this being an all-inside meniscus repair where you don't penetrate the capsule, we didn't have any neurovascular problems, and you wouldn't with, with this technique. So what was considered a serious complication was needing a return to the operating room. And in two of the patients, it well, it wasn't related, we didn't think, to the device. One patient seemed to have an infection and is having an inflammatory issue, which can occur with meniscus repair. And in one patient, it was the other knee that, in which the meniscus tore and required a return to the operating room. Uh, nevertheless, because of uh, the need to return to the operating room, the IRB considered that a serious complication, and we had to count that as a serious complication. In another one, uh, there was an outright failure that required return to the OR and partial meniscectomy. And finally, on the fourth patient, the repair site, on when the patient was returned to the OR, the repair site looked good, but another site in the meniscus, on the same meniscus, had developed a tear and required partial meniscectomy. So those are the four out of the nine, four, four patients that had a, quote, serious complication, unquote. Sure. I appreciate that. I think that helps shed some light on the specifics, especially when you have kind of a small N for your study. It helps to kind of dig into the details. So thanks for that. One question I wanted to ask you about postoperative care. So in the paper, it states that patients follow the investigator's preferred rehabilitation plan. It, does that mean that the patients had variable or standardized rehab protocols? Well, we discussed that and we were all fairly similar. And what we would do is uh, have the patient uh, use crutches and a knee immobilizer so they would be partial weight-bearing with their knee in extension uh, for the first two weeks. But we would allow them 
to take the knee mobilizer off and range their knee from zero to 90 from the very beginning uh, when they're supine and not weight-bearing. On week three, we would allow the beginning of partial weight-bearing, and certainly after another week, they would be off crutches and walking with their knee straight in the knee mobilizer, and then we would allow discontinued use of the knee mobilizer between four and six weeks, depending on the doctor, no deep squatting and twisting for four months. And after that, no restrictions. Sounds very similar to commonly accepted rehab protocols. Is that what you're still following for your own meniscus repairs outside of the study? That is, except for, of course, the root repairs where we keep them non-weight bearing for six weeks. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, this has been an excellent discussion. Do you have any other closing remarks before we close out? One of our goals in doing this study has been to save the meniscus and preserve the meniscus, which is a message that I think we're getting out into the community, not only the lay community, but the orthopedic community, that previously uh, tears that were considered irreparable are now not only more easily repaired, but we're showing better outcomes. Uh, so I'm hoping that that more and more uh, surgeons would approach tears and repair them and save the meniscus. I echo that. I think that message is getting out there. I see that message being delivered both in meetings and online and also in social media. So I think... I think it's gaining some traction. So Peter, I want to congratulate you again on your work and thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts with us today. Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate you talking with me. And again, I wanted to reach out and thank the co-authors of this study. Absolutely. Dr. Kurzweil's article titled Favorable Reoperation Rate at Two Years Following Repair of Horizontal Cleavage Tears Using an All-Suture-Based Technique, a Prospective Multicenter Trial, was published online in March 2021 in the Arthroscopy, Sports Medicine, and Rehabilitation Journal, which is available online at www.arthroscopysportsmedicineandrehabilitation.org. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in the podcast don't necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.